KT, have you noticed that interest rates long-term are starting to go down little by little? Yeah, what are we going to do about it? I tell you what I think everybody should do about it. You should go to myalliant.com and take advantage of the one-year to 17-month certificate of deposit. They're currently paying 5.15% or 5.20% for amounts of $75,000 or more. Tell them one more time, KT, where they should go. Go to myalliant.com today. Now you know. Two thousand and twenty-two, Miss Travis. Susie, do you know what this month is? Yeah, it's three days before my birthday. It's the Gemini month. <laughs> she can change her mind every day. <laughs> I change my mind every day. Anyway, her birthday Sunday, everybody. We're gonna have a little party. Are we gonna do a podcast on that day? We are. We're gonna do a birthday podcast, and all of you should send in your wishes. Before then, because I'm going to select a couple really great birthday wishes for Susie. What do you wish for Susie, everybody? Katie, why do you think that I, by the way, before we go into this, welcome everybody to the Ask Susie and Katie. Anything. Ask Anything podcast. Anything. Anything. Anything you want. Except there's something that I have been wanting to tell everybody. Well, what is it, Susie? Do you really not know? No, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not going to guess. What is it? All right. Listen to me, everybody. The Alliant Credit Union has raised their interest rates from 0.60% to 0.75%. So all of you that have the Ultimate Opportunity Savings Account, you're now going to be earning 0.75%. And if you continue to put $100 a month every month in for 12 consecutive months, you're going to get a $100 bonus as well. If you don't have it yet, please go to mymyalliant.com, myalliant.com, and check it out. I promise you, you will be happy that you did. Now, that's great news, That's good, That's really great. But, KT, I have two questions for you. What is it? Number one. Why do you think I don't look forward to my birthdays? You've never, ever liked celebrating your birthday. And listen, I've given her some really great parties, real fun theme parties. Remember that one in yeah, L.A.? Yeah, when I turned 60, yeah. Yeah, that was a great one. But, it was a Western So theme. why do you think? I don't know. I don't know. You Let's put it this way. You don't like celebrating any holiday, birthday, or special events. And you especially don't like being in the center of attention. But does she like to give a party? Absolutely. She gave me a 50th birthday party I'll never forget. 
She's about to give me a 70th birthday party in July this summer, which I know I'm looking forward to every day. It's going to be so I, I incredible. I count down the days. In we're not going to Columbia. Oh, wait, I was going to say we're going to keep it a surprise. And she also loves, loves, loves to prepare and entertain just one day a year Thanksgiving for the family. All right. But she doesn't like them. She just isn't into it. You never were. Never have been. Anyway, one other question. Are you as sore as I am today? A little. We were fishing. We went fishing for how many hours? 10 hours on Tuesday. And yes, I was on the boat and I was on the boat for all 10 hours. And she fished. But that night on Tuesday, when did I go to sleep? 7.30. She I, came back. We got in at 6.15. I always come back, water my garden, say hello to all the plants, then get out because I'm really dirty and stinky. I smell like a squid. And I was really, really dirty from fishing all day. Susie doesn't get dirty. She's the captain. El Capitan has the pleasure of sitting behind the wheel and not getting dirty. But, but she I did find fish. the fish. She finds it, but she fished a little. Anyway, we caught quite a few nice yellow eye snappers, and that was our supper, our dinner. But she didn't even eat dinner on Tuesday night. I came back and saw her, and she was in bed. And I said, and she was actually sleeping. I said, Susie, Susie, are you are you sleeping? And she said, <laughs> Oh, I just fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my body still to this day from That's that That's because we're getting old. Getting old. But when you're on a boat, you're constantly rocking. And as you know, I'm freshly new back to the boat, right? So You've it's- been doing great. But I've been doing great, great with that. All right. Wait, let me get to my questions. Oh, yes. But first, but I have to tell everyone. talking to you so much. All right. So I wanted everyone to know this could be a really short and Not precise, if I keep talking to you about Precise <laughs> podcast, because what I did was I went through really quite a few hundred of the questions that came in, and lots of them were in the same category or the same topic. So I kind of grouped seven great questions together. I'm not putting the names in. I'm just going to summarize and, that's because, and ask the question. And that's because like three, four, or five people asked the, the same about thing. The, so pretty you, much the same. All right. So all right. And the I first got, one, being that it was Memorial Day, I want to start with an Army veteran. So the first question is, Susie, thank you from a 20-year Army veteran, and thank you, sir, for serving and protecting us. And all the and, men and women that yes, do so. Yes, but, but here's what he's asking. I'm trying to get my wife to purchase I-bonds. She doesn't like the beneficiary setup, not a fan of probate. Please help. So what, what advice can you give this great Army veteran? Here's the thing, everybody. It is true that series I-bonds, which are inflation bonds that you purchase by going to treasurydirect.gov, has two ways only, really, that if you buy it in your individual name, that you can have a beneficiary or you can have a secondary owner. But a lot of you are seriously concerned, what, what happens if both of you die at once? KT and I have that problem. Because mm -hmm. we have more of a chance of dying at once because we're always together, whether it's, you know, a plane or whatever it may be. So 
If you're really, really concerned about that, then remember you can open up a Series I bond account in the name of the trust, where the trust owns it. And therefore, if anything happens, a trust can't die. You don't have to go through probate. But if you want to get more than $10,000 in, remember to listen to the April 17th version of the podcast here on Women and Money, where I talk about how you can get up to possibly $30,000 into a Series IBOM. But listen, to give up 9.62% interest right now, because of that, I don't know, I, I would do it no matter what. But anyway, okay, go on. So Susie, that was great advice. His wife definitely should consider getting the I-bonds. Well, you know how many millions of people, since I've been talking about it, have now gotten them? Yeah, and they're happy. And they're really happy. And they feel secure, and that's the whole purpose. And so, you know, if you have to go through probate with the amount of money that's in I-bonds, okay. But the truth of the matter is, depending on your state, if you don't have much there, you might not have to go through probate at all. All right. So Susie, in keeping with the same theme of Series I bonds, which so many people are asking questions about. Which, by the way, I just want to say something. So many of you are asking questions about Series I bonds, where if you just went to treasurydirect.gov, they'll answer your questions there. You'll find the answers. So since now so many questions are coming in, don't wait for me to get back to you. Be proactive, everybody. Go, KT. I think Susie's advice is better, but here you go. So this question is, Susie, I invested in a Series I bond in November of last year at 7.12%. My statement only shows $178 of interest. Why isn't it more? See, that's a question that I have answered in the past. Do you know the reason, KT? I think because it doesn't start accruing interest until after a certain amount of right, time. All right, never mind. So <clears throat> remember, everybody. <laughs> Good try, Katie. Don't go, Katie. Go, Katie. Oh, I have your quizzy, honey, right, right here. Go All right, go ahead. Somebody by the name of Lisa wrote in and said, This is a quizzy for Katie. And I said, I'll ask her. Okay. All right. Anyway, everybody remember that in the very first year, that you put money into an I-bond, you cannot touch that money at all. But really, years two through five, if you do take any amount out, you redeem it, any amount, it's a three-month interest penalty. So when you look at your statements, anywhere within the first five years of you owning an I-bond, they automatically assume that three-month interest penalty will apply if you're going to withdraw money. So they don't want to tell you you have this much money in there, but if you withdraw it, you have less because of that penalty. So they automatically apply that three-month interest penalty when you are looking at your statements. However, you still have all of the interest in there making interest the next six months. Just know that. It's compounding the way that it should, but they're showing it with the interest penalty. Let me just give you an example. You put in $10,000, which this person and many did last year, and got a 7.12% annualized yield. 
Now remember everybody, an annualized yield is what it would have paid you if it you had that money in there for the whole year and that was the interest rate for the whole year. But series I bonds, the interest rate changes every 6 months. So truthfully, you're only going to get half of that 7.12% or 3.56% actually on your money for six months. And then the interest rate changes. Now, this person or these people are lucky because the interest rate changed to 9.62%. Mm. So they're going to get a whole lot more. But 3.56% on $10,000 is $356 for six months. Mm-hmm. Since you're getting assessed a three-month interest penalty if you were able to take the money out, that would be half of that $356 of which interest, is which is $178. But remind them, it doesn't mean you lost that money. Yeah, you didn't lose you it. Didn't you didn't lose it. You still have $356 in there. So now all $10,356 will be earning 9.62% annualized. But again, that's only half of that. So it's about... 4.81%. Mm-hmm. There you go. At the end of the day, you're still making out great. Lots just of re- money. But just that's remember why. that. And advice. I got news for you. After five years, you'll see the actual amount that you have in there. You know, and I went through that, by the way, because remember, I've been buying I-bonds since 2001. And it was always like, wait a minute. But anyway, that's how it works. So this next question is in, again, a category for that good old debt called student loan, the one we all hate that we, is necessary. But you shouldn't hate it. All right, we don't hate it. We just know that it it is never forgiven. But ready for the question? If the government forgives $10,000 of student loan debt, will I owe taxes on that? Fabulous question. Good question. Okay, student loan debt. The good news is if President Biden decides that he is going to forgive $10,000, hopefully across the board, of student loan debt, that student loan debt will not be taxable. Now, KT, the reason that people are asking that question, fabulous question, Mm -hmm. is because if you have debt that was forgiven, student loan debt, any kind of debt that's forgiven, except public student loan forgiveness debt, all right, you then, because that debt was forgiven, you owe taxes on that debt. And that's just the law. But a fabulous thing, and I want all of you, in fact, I should have done a Susie School on this one in 2021. But anyway, there was in 2021... Uh, American Rescue Plan Act that was passed. And that was the act with the stimulus and all of those things, all right? But in that act, KT, they said that student loans that are forgiven through the year of 2025, you would not owe taxes on. Now, the reason that's important, everybody, for those of you who are in income-based repayment programs for your student loans, or your children are, prior to 2021, with this act having been signed, let's say you had 
a debt at the end of 20 or 30 years that you owed still on the student loan of possibly $100,000 or so. The debt would have been forgiven, but you would have owed income tax on it. Mm. And that's why over all the years, I've been saying, be very careful if you have income-based repayment programs, pay-as-you-go programs for student loans, because in the end, they get you. So if you have one of those kind of loans between now and 2025, if you're out of it, if they forgive it, you do not owe taxes on it. So Susie, next question is this. Can you explain why we should open a Roth 401k rather than a traditional 401k? My CPA recommends we open a traditional because we make $350,000 a year. No, I can't. How many times I've explained that? Look at your little face. All right, just joking with you, KT. I was going to say, oh, man, if she doesn't know the answer and asks me to explain it, we're all in trouble. All right, I'm going to try one more time. Here's the thing, everybody. You make too much money to qualify for a contributory Roth IRA, but there are no income limitations when it comes to a Roth 401k. You can make $10 million a year and still qualify in most cases for a Roth 401k. So if you could take advantage of it, you could put a lot of money into it. That money then does what? It grows tax-free year after year after year. Now, Well, I don't know your age, but now 10 years or 40 years from now or however long, you will probably have millions of dollars in that Roth 401k that you could access absolutely tax-free. Your children or your beneficiaries, if you die, will get the money. They'll be able to take it out tax-free. So why wouldn't you take advantage of that? Your CPA is looking at, oh, you could save a few thousand dollars on your taxes right now if you did a traditional 401k because traditional IRAs or 401ks are funded with what? Money you have never paid taxes on. So if you're not paying taxes on it, so you're saving 2000 3000 maybe $5,000 a year. The problem is, what do you do with that $5,000 or that $3,000? Do you take that money and do you invest it? No, you don't. You take that money and what do you do with it? You go out to eat, you spend it, it just goes down the financial river. So, It doesn't really work for you. It's not like that money then is going to be invested and it's going to grow as well. So pay the taxes now. Make it so that you never pay taxes on that money again. Because if you have a million dollars or more, which many of you do in a traditional IRA or a traditional 401k, you are going to not only have to pay taxes on that money 
as you're taking it out in whatever tax brackets happen to be there later on in life. And if you die, when it goes to your beneficiaries, and let's say your beneficiaries are in a really high tax bracket, they're going to have to pay ordinary income tax on it. It's just not worth it. You can do it and you can listen to your CPA. And I promise you, years from now, when you see what you've gotten yourself into, oh, you're going to wish you had listened to me. And one last thing, money that you withdraw from a traditional IRA or a traditional 401k, 403b, TSP, whatever, that is money that counts towards income to calculate if you're going to pay tax on your social security or not. That is money that is used to calculate what your Medicare B premiums are going to be, and they will be higher because of that. Money that's withdrawn from a Roth does not count towards social security or Medicare B premiums. Okay, just saying. Susie, ready? Next question. My spouse died last year, and I just sold our home, which we lived in for the past 36 years. I bet we have a lot of gains in that house. Well, it says I'm in my late 80s, and I need every penny after taxes. I was told I can only deduct $250,000 from the sale proceeds since my husband died. Is this true, Susie? No, it is not true. Well, then tell me. Oh, that what... should have been your quizzy. What would you have said? <laughs> Ask Susie. <laughs> all right. I have to tell you, I'm really aggravated all of a sudden. I'm sorry. I'm have... picking questions that are making her really well, obviously, mad, everybody. A lot of people have written. How many people wrote in this one question? Probably about seven around this category about spouse dying, proceeds, yeah, all right. what you get, what you can keep after you sell your home, yeah, so all of that. Here's what really upsets me is that I've just had two questions from UKT. Mm-hmm. One where your CPA says, better to do a traditional than a Roth. Ugh. Next question, this person has been told by somebody, who would that person be? Probably their CPA, that they can't do it. I don't know if it is or it isn't, but it's like, people, be careful who you are getting advice from. That's all I want to say. Because if you believed that person in this situation, you would have lost out on a lot of money. When you sell a home, every single one of us gets what's called a $250,000 exemption as long as it was your primary residency and you lived in it for two out of the past five years as your primary residency. So if you own this house with your spouse or with anybody for that matter, you each get a $250,000 exemption. So in this case, KT, This woman, if her husband was still alive, they sold the house, they would have been able to take off $500,000 from the gain that they made on this house, Mm. okay? However, her husband died a year ago, Mm -hmm. and somebody has told her she doesn't qualify for $500,000 now because she owns it by herself. Wrong wrong. Oh, I didn't know that. And that is wrong because if your spouse 
died within the last two years. And you said your spouse died a year ago, last year. One year ago. One year ago. So if it's within two years of death, it was your primary residency. You lived in it for two out of the past five years, at least as your primary residency. You've lived in it forever, right? 30 some odd years. You get to claim not only a $250,000 exemption for you, but you also get to claim a $250,000 exemption for your deceased spouse. Wow. What other deductions can she make on the sale of the house? Well, obviously, she can take off any amount of money, any amount of improvements that you made. And obviously, over all of those years, did you put on a new roof? Did you, you know, add a little addition? Did you renovate the bathrooms? What did you do where you added money to that house? Right? So, Hopefully, you could go through the house and look at everything and write all of that down. You also get to deduct whatever sales commission you paid to sell the house. And really, KT, that and the $500,000 exemption is what she gets to take off. Next question, girlfriend. Okay. In keeping with real estate, lots of real estate questions. I think people are, are taking advantage of this crazy real estate market. So, Susie, my mom told me that her house she owns in JTWROS with my brother, joint tenancy with right of survivorship. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Was left to me, my sister, and brother in her will. My sister and I are estranged from my brother, which means they do not talk to him. But mom says there's nothing to worry about. So then why am I worried, Susie? Because this person should seriously be worried. Mm-hmm. Joint tenancy with right of survivorship means that she now owns it with her son. If she dies, title passes immediately to her son that is on that joint tenancy with right of survivorship because his title survives her passing. Did that make sense, KT? Yes. Right? That's how we own property. Mm-hmm. We own it within trust, but that's still the title to our properties. Mm-hmm. Okay. The problem is when you own property in joint tenancy with right of survivorship, it overrides the wishes of any will or trust. Mm-hmm. So upon this person's mother's death, it will immediately go to her son, their brother. He will own it totally in his name alone. There's no way for them to contest it. That's how it's going to be. And since they are estranged from him, it's worse. Mm. good luck getting him to do anything fairly about it. So what should they do? Could they have mom change it now? They need to have mama listen to this podcast and listen to me saying, mama, if you really love your three children totally the same, and if you really are wishing that all three of them get this house and then divide it and sell it or do whatever with it, then you have got to take it out of the title where you own it as joint tenancy with right of survivorship 
to one son. What you could do is put the other two on there if you want, but better yet, really, is you should own it in a living revocable trust just held in your name for your benefit while you're alive and your three kids after you have died. The one danger that you have by owning it with your son is if your son is in a serious car accident, it was his fault. He either killed somebody or seriously injured them. Don't think that an attorney isn't going to find out that he owns a piece of property and come after your house in a lawsuit. So one last thing, KT, I know you want me to be quick here. Do not own your home with your kids' names on it, everybody. There are more ramifications than you have any idea, including step up in basis and all of these things. Own your home in a living revocable trust. And that is the best way to do it. Help for your benefit while you're alive and again, your kids' benefit after you have passed. Best way to do it is to go to suzyorman.com slash offer and pick up our must-have documents. Seriously, it's what you all should be doing. Okay, go on. Okay, next question is simple. Are treasuries insured up to 250000 like banks and credit unions are? That's cute. Mm-hmm. No, they're not insured up to $250,000 like banks and credit unions are, but they are backed by the full faith and authority of the United States government. So you could put in $10 million into a treasury and be absolutely guaranteed to get that money back no matter what. So treasuries are guaranteed by the full faith and authority of the United States government. And money that you put in a bank or credit union are backed by FDIC or NCUA for credit unions up to $250,000. But I did do a podcast on this where it showed you how you could get far more than $250,000 with FDIC or NCUA Quizzy time, KT. Okay. Are you ready, KT, for your quizzy? I'm always ready for that quizzy, Susie. All right, now, KT, I just want you to think before you answer, right? Because I kind of answered it like 15 minutes ago, okay? Okay. Now, this is from Lisa. And Lisa says, Hi, KT and Susie. Is it a Lisa we know? We no, Lisa. it is we not. We have lots of Lisa right? friends. I listen to your podcast religiously. Now, She listens to it every single time we have one. All right, KT? But she's asking a question that I've answered so many times, it's not even funny. So this is a topic that's not easy to get. Okay, let's give it a shot together, Lisa. Right. And she loves taking action on my advice. All right. I've got a good quizzy for KT and her dreaded Roth. I'm 35 years old, and I'm proud to say that as of this year, I am maxing my Roth 401k. My question, will there come a point when I'm older, say in my 50s or 60s, when it would make more sense to switch my contributions to a traditional 401k if I don't anticipate going to a higher tax bracket? Or should I always stay in a Roth? Now, Katie, don't answer yet. 
Let everybody think about it. I want you to think about it because not only when you answer, I'm going to ask you why you answered that way. So I want you to just take a second. You tell me when you're ready. I, I think I'm ready. All right. I am rooting <laughs> for you, girl. I'm rooting for you. What's the okay. answer? Definitely keep your Roth. You don't need a traditional. Why not let all that tax-free money compound and enjoy it in your later years? So your answer to this question is, right, should she always stay with a Roth? Yeah. Ding, 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 yes. ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 baby. And again, why? <laughs> because it's tax-free. And it grows? And it compounds and grows. Until you're ready to use it and want it. And how does it grow? Tax-free, Susie. And what happens upon their death and it goes to their beneficiaries? And it's still tax-free for whoever you want to leave it to. All right. So the answer it's, it's is... It's the best way to go. Go keep the Roth, enjoy it. And, and, and no know, matter what. No matter what, just keep it. There you go. Now, did you get that? KT, how does that feel? Feels good, Lisa. You can do this. You know the answer. Just keep the Roth. All right. So on that note, KT, we better sign off. That's right. a good note. Okay. So if you keep that Roth, you're going to be safe, strong, and secure. <laughs> Till next Sunday. Till this Sunday, Susie's birthday. Mm -hmm. Send in the birthday wishes. I'm going to read a few of them. I'm going to join her. And wish I'm going to join her all day for that celebration. But we're going to start the morning with some of your wishes. All right. And so until then, there's only one thing that we wish for all of you, and that is for you to be safe, strong, and secure. secure. See you then. Bye-bye. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.